I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. So on today's episode, I have recorded a coaching session with a client who found me because his therapist recommended that he do some research into PAWS, post-acute withdrawal syndrome, and that led him to find episode eight of this podcast where I do a deep dive into what is post-acute withdrawal syndrome and how do you deal with it. You know, many of us quit drinking with really high expectations because we've been under the impression that alcohol was the problem and so sobriety is gonna be the solution. The truth is that if you've been a drinker for a long time, your brain chemistry is off. You know, alcohol is a drug, it's a depressant drug, and it takes a year, sometimes more, to recalibrate the dopamine and endorphin mechanisms in our brain. So it's very normal to experience periods of depression, lack of motivation, um, extended fatigue, things like that in new sobriety. Now the good news is, is it's not constant, but it can be very confusing to quit drinking and feel amazing. And then a month later, feel like you get like Mark shares in this episode, like somebody poured concrete into his veins and just to experience really low mood and racing intrusive thoughts and just emotional dysregulation. And so I don't do a deep dive and pause in this episode. If you want more information on that, I recommend that you go back and re-listen to, if you haven't, episode eight. I'm also going to put the handout. It's like a four-page signs and symptoms and strategies and tools and just all the things you need to know about pause. I'm going to put that in the show notes so you can find that with this episode as well. But this episode is a coaching session that I did as a follow-up to the five-day Change Your Mind Challenge, which I put on a few weeks ago. And I will put a link to the challenge. You'll hear us reference it several times. And if you're interested, the replay is available. So check the show notes. The client that I'm speaking with today found the tools that I laid out in the challenge to be very helpful in dealing with his latest episode of pause. And he realized that the episode itself of pause is an invitation to learn a different way of being to learn how to manage his emotions so that they are not managing him. And so initially his his trigger presents as a situation with his wife where he was uncertain as to whether or not to tell his wife that a certain behavior of hers was bothering him. And he was worried, you know, that he was going to throw her under the bus and talk bad about her. But we were laughing um, because in the end, we're throwing him under the bus as he openly and readily decides to take radical responsibility for the fact that it's not her behavior that's making him uncomfortable. It's his thoughts. It's the story he's telling himself 
about the way she should be and his need or urge, as so many husbands have, to fix or to help. And we're able to flip that story into seeing that the urge to fix or help somebody else is really just an urge to manage our own emotions so we don't feel so uncomfortable. So this episode is long. Grab a cup of coffee or listen to it while you drive because there's so many takeaways for all of us. So I hope you enjoy. Tell me how long you have been sober and how that is going. Bring me up to speed. Okay. I quit drinking on December 17th of 2022. So I believe that puts me at 50. Actually, I know it's 56 days today. And I've tried to quit in the past when I, about a year ago, I did, I tried to quit for 30 days. That was my goal. And I made it to 37 because I was sort of waiting for a father daughter trip that was coming up. And my daughter's, you know, drinking age, of course, at this point. And so I waited to that. I thought, well, we'd have a cocktail together on this trip. And so we, we did. And I drank, you know, I drank pretty moderately on that trip. But it was soon after, you know, the weeks, following weeks that came in and really started uh, picking up the pace. And I was right back to where I was and, you know, pretty quick. So, you know, it's been a struggle. I, I, you know, I've been drinking for over 40 years and not heavy all the time. It just kind of went back and forth throughout my life, different stages of my life. But over the last 10 years, you know, I'd say it really became, I didn't know it was a problem, but it slowly became the problem. And it was causing just a lot of interference in a, you know, happy life. And starting to forget too many things, starting to lose good experiences because I was drinking, you know, and I have a grandchild now. So it's really time for me to, it's really important to me to get out of that pattern. When you quit this time, you say back in December, did you quit with the intention of doing another 30 day reset, or maybe you didn't have a set goal at all? What was in your brain? What were you telling yourself you needed to do? Once I knew moderation didn't work, I made a decision to just quit. And at that, when I, on that day, my decision was to never drink again. And I haven't since then. I don't know, you know, maybe one day I'll have a cocktail with somebody. I don't know, but right now I'm not going to, and it doesn't feel very safe for me right now. How has sobriety been going then? You know, what, what is surprising either good and or bad? What are you struggling with? Okay. Um, the first three weeks went pretty smooth and I intentionally broke some habits of visiting with certain friends and just to keep, you know, just to keep it easy, easier. And I didn't really have any um, health issues with that or anything else going on. But I will say on, um, it was day 28, something triggered in me and it was really difficult for me to deal with. It seemed like my emotions just went haywire and everything felt heavy, a little out of control. I really struggled with that. And it lasted, you know, for a good week, I would say. It sort of escalated. Just It didn't really even escalate. It just, boom, there it was. 
And it was a real struggle. Like everything in my life, I was having problems with, I was questioning everything. It just was chaotic. And I just couldn't slow it down. I couldn't filter it out. I just, it just really was difficult. I fortunately, I had a place to retreat to. Um, that's it's a cabin in you know in the woods, and it's a place I like to go to. So things were so chaotic at the house. I knew I needed to remove myself. I thought that was at the time was the best thing to do, and I in the long run, I think I believe it was. So when I was down there, it was a kind of relief. It was just me, but I was still processing all these crazy emotions in my head, and it was very difficult. And it lasted, like I said, about a week, and then I came back home I think on the fourth day feeling a lot better not great still had a lot of that weird stuff going on in my head and then after about a full week you know I, I kind of grounded and it was sort of shortly right after that things were pretty great and you know I was kind of high on life and uh, things were going good I didn't know what to think of that experience and I have been seeing a therapist. I scheduled an, a, an appointment with them and we talked for you know, about an hour, typical. And right when I was leaving, he mentioned something to me. He said, explore pause, you know, P-A-W-S. And I had no clue what that meant. I came home, started researching, found a lot of short, really wasn't talking about it. They were sort of defining the words for it. Really didn't get anything deep, so it didn't. It wasn't doing me any good. And then I did run across Colleen's um, description of that, and the reason I clicked on that because it was like an hour long, and I thought, okay, they're not just going to abbreviate this thing, and they're going to get into it. And once I learned more about it, it started to make sense to me of what happened. So. It was nice to put a name on it and a place to put it so I could think about it differently. I did really well after that, like I said. And then about a week and a half ago, it's, it, it hit me again. And even more strange this time that it, I was literally just sitting in my sunroom and it swept through me. <laughs> I've never really experienced that before, where it's like somebody hit a light switch and everything just changed. Uh, you could almost say it went from light to dark. That's how it felt. And it just felt heavy, really little. I could just feel it happening like it did the first time. But this time I was at least able to put it some, like I could call it what it is and deal with it that way. So it didn't seem to run amok like it had before. I was able to kind of stabilize everything that was going on, but that still didn't make it easy. And I feel like it lasted, I'd say a week as well. I still kind of feel like I'm dealing with that because it's such a setback. So you're kind of running high on, you know, things are going good. You know, you're happy. You don't have all these desires to do things or to drink, but then it sets you so far back. It's like, you know, two steps forward and 10 back. And so I feel like I've had to move, like really work on it again and get back to where I was. And, you know, today it's better, you know, than it was a week ago. So, you know, it's, that was plenty to deal with. Um, outside of that, 
you know, I'm 50, like I said, 56 days in, just for whatever reason, I don't know. It's, I got plenty to do, but it's feels boring to do it. And I've, I could tell I've got to be careful because um, it sort of wants, I could tell it wants to sneak up on me and I catch myself, well, you know, maybe. And I, you know, I just, I know what that means and I got to work through that. So. So it sounds like at day 28, it kicked off about a week episode where you just felt really heavy, emotionally confused, angry, like just emotional dysfunction, if you will. Is that about what I'm hearing? And then you popped out of it because you took care of yourself. You got away from the triggers of whatever was going on at home. You took some time and then it went away. And then it was good again. And then it's come back. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so you're attributing or framing these situations as post-acute withdrawal syndrome, that something is happening biochemically because it doesn't feel familiar. Like, have you gone through episodes like these in the past? Have you ever had depression or anxiety or periods of, for lack of an undiagnosed term, bipolar, you know, where you just kind of go into a darkness. Have you struggled with that before? Or is this, you know, I, I have off and on throughout my life. I, you know, it was a pretty difficult childhood. Um, and sort of, you know, lacked a lot of qualities, or I should say, you know, self-worth, your, your confidence, you know, things that you wish you were, you had developed when you were younger. And then you tend to carry them into longer of your life. So there's been moments, you know, I've been through um, two divorces. I'm married today. And the first one was where I had my two girls. So it was very traumatic. I went into sort of a quick depression. I did get some medication for that. Didn't stay on that for real long. I think I was on it for two and a half, three months. And then didn't really like how I felt. Uh, with it. And I was working hard, you know, learning how to best, you know, deal with my kids. I probably read a hundred books and, you know, I really worked hard at it and it went really well. You know, I did really good. So yeah. And then, you know, I, I have felt that at times and it's been difficult to understand, you know, what was going on, why I felt that way. I think with depression with me anyway, it's, you, you can't label it. Like you, you look at your life and you're like, what's going on? Why should I feel this way? It doesn't make sense. So I have struggled with that at times. But I will say that I've never had it hit me like it did this last time. I've never had, it's usually it's like slowly you end up in that air, that depression or whatever you want to call it. And it sort of creeps in on you. Mm-hmm. Where this one was just weird. I mean, it's just like, bam. So it was uh, different. Can you identify any triggers for it? That's a great question. Um, You know, when I did talk to the therapist, and let me catch up on that. You know, I saw the therapist after the first time and we set another two week appointment and it had happened literally, you know, like the day before, I think it was, or the two days before my next appointment. So I just waited to see him. I did ask him about that. And I explained, you know, what happened and 
you know, the situation I was in, which was actually, oddly enough, I was having a pretty pleasant conversation with my wife. You know, we were talking about sort of our growth, you know, since I quit drinking, she's working on some things, I'm working on some things. And um, it really wasn't heavy. It wasn't, we weren't, you know, it wasn't any kind of debate. We weren't arguing, wasn't anything like that. And that's when it hit me and just literally just sitting there. So when I did talk to him about it, he said, first thing he felt was it was pause. That was his number one go-to. He said, if it wasn't that, um, he said it could have been having that conversation, even though it was fine, may have triggered an old you know, re reaction or thought that I really, even if I didn't think about it, it just triggered something and that could have done the same thing and, or maybe a combination of both. You know, maybe I was on that edge anyway and that's maybe triggered it. So that's the best that I can understand it, put it that way. When you think of the thoughts in your head with the conversation, it sounds like it was fairly positive. Do you recognize the thoughts, like the story in your head? Think about the story in your head about who you are, your wife, the future, the past, like whatever. Did old stories come up? As you went into another period of a week, I'm sure your brain was busy, but were there stories in there that, that seemed familiar? I kept myself as busy as I been keeping myself almost from day one, which, you know, near pretty much daily exercise, um, either doing audible books, watching podcasts, trying to really keep on a good eating well, um, you know, trying to stay on a good path. But I will say this, when it triggered, even though we weren't having a difficult conversation, I do remember feeling that I didn't go with my instincts. And I, and I kind of, I think that might've, could have been. So there was something I was sort of wanting to say at that, during our conversation. And I thought in my head, it's, it was like, how oh, should I say that? Like, I don't want this to go south. Everything's going good. So I did say it and it wasn't anything confrontational was anything bad or negative, but it, it was shortly after that, that it did trigger. Okay. So let's look at that. And I want to just circle back to some of the stuff we went over in the challenge. And that is that none of our thoughts are true. And in, in a lot of ways, I find that very comforting with dealing with something like this, because we want to distract ourselves because we don't want to, quote, go there in our mind. But really, the only way to pull this crap out of our subconscious is to pull it into the consciousness, to look at whatever the belief is. And that's why the, the beauty is it's not true. You know, this a fear or a prejudice or an assumption or whatever, but being able to articulate whatever that fear was, is really the, the key to then resolving it. Because then when that sensation comes up in your body, that then you want to go distract yourself, or you want to not think about it, when that sensation comes up, you can look at that as simply, all it means is that that thought is 
been activated and then you can pull it up and process it. So it sounds like you were maybe second guessing yourself about something. And so is that thing something that you need to pull out and look at? I mean, do you want to go over it at all? I can tell you in, in the moment that the reason I was second guessing myself or a little hesitant, hesitant was because we're both working on ourselves and you know I didn't want to bring up something that was historically a problem my wife has a tendency to when we have people over that she just goes over the top trying to please them and I was trying to explain to her that people can become uncomfortable with that like they don't want to be tended to so much and so I was trying to explain that to her and that was my hesitancy to bring that up okay I didn't want to make her you know I mean she's working at her on herself and I didn't want to like it seemed yeah it seemed a little maybe petty but in a way I'm like would this help her will this not help her should I say it should I not and I should have just not because that was if I had was debating it that hard but I did and it didn't go south when I said of course then it was a little more well, I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm not. Well, honey, I mean, no, I'm not. And it, it just, but during that conversation is when it hit. So if I could reframe that for you, okay, because we've worked together a little bit. The shortest distance out of this is to figure out how it's your feelings. And what I want you to consider is how you feel uncomfortable when she's doing whatever it is she's doing. And so you're not uh, this is a different frame. It's it's not That's true. Okay. okay? Yeah. But you're not actually trying to help her. You're trying to help yourself feel better because you feel like there's something that your wife is doing that seems a little embarrassing. And so stepping outside of this, as we used the emotional ownership statement, if you remember, blank is not the problem. Donna's behavior isn't the problem my thoughts and feelings about Donna's behavior are the problem. And that's the solve. That's what we have to go to because you have one perspective and it is not right any more than her perspective is right. And so that's the neutralizing of all of the emotions is to realize that, you know, people in other cultures do over the top stuff and people in some cultures do none of that. And there is no right or wrong. There's your normal and then there's how you feel about it and all of that. So how does that land? Yeah, I mean, that, and that it's, you're right. Because what it does to me is if I just remove anything about her, is that I feel like, well, God, man, people don't want to come over because, you know, they, they get uncomfortable. I want them to come back. I want them to have a pleasant time. I thought maybe I could say something to help her. I feel like she was missing out of enjoying the moment as much as she could be. And I was trying to, in my thinking, I was trying to navigate that. Okay, so you think that she is missing out. And so you want to help her you want her to be happy what evidence do you have that she is missing out does she say 
how stressed she is? Does she post party analysis say she didn't have a good time? What, what evidence do you have that she's missing out and that maybe you could help her? The assumption here, and I'm going to paint it like black and white. So it probably okay. sounds worse than it is, but the assumption here is that she can't figure out that she doesn't have to do all that and just get out of the kitchen and come sit down. Like the assumption is that that's, that's a hard math problem and she isn't capable of figuring it out and getting out of her own way. That's the assumption. And also there's an assumption that she's actually not enjoying feeling like she didn't get a chance to talk to anybody. Maybe she's using all of her busyness to avoid her own social anxiety. She's got her own emotional stuff, as we all do. She's capable of changing it if she wants to, but the assumption is that she actually wants to feel relaxed and talk to everybody versus busy herself through the event so that everybody can hurry up and leave. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely possible. So the point of pointing that out is that you can't help people who don't want help. And I'm not saying that your wife needs help. That's the other assumption is that she needs or wants to change. And so full circle back to your feelings, you know, is there a boundary you need to set? So for example, if she's being snippy and you don't like the way she's treating you, well, there's a boundary issue there of what you will and won't tolerate and how to set that boundary. Like that's, that's a real thing. But beyond that, I would turn more to your own emotions as to why it makes you so uncomfortable to have her be busy. Like, what are you making that mean? Is, is that a poor reflection on you? Does it seem like social naivety where other people see something and she doesn't? And so you want to protect yourself from being married to somebody who doesn't get it. What feeling are you trying to avoid by fixing her? I think, you know, um, it's a great question. So I'm thinking on it here a minute. But uh, Well, you don't have to solve the problem at this point. If you can understand that it's your feelings you're trying to, trying to control her. this bullshit we tell ourselves that we care about other people's feelings, <laughs> not really accurate. I think I'm trying to protect myself. Okay. Because I'll hear like, you know, either my mom or my daughters, you know, or somebody will comment, you know, so then I start getting a little, oh, yeah, you know, come on. Oh. I might not even been thinking about it that much until somebody else says something. Right. Ding, ding, yeah. ding. So you're trying to micromanage and control for other people's thoughts because if your daughter or other people think something, you don't want them to think about your wife. So you're out there trying to control a bunch of shit that you don't have control over. And if you just go directly to the source, there's such freedom in just managing your like oh, I'm uncomfortable because she's doing that and he's saying this. And instead of thinking you need to change everything, what if you change the goal to, I'm learning how to be uncomfortable? Like, whoa, my daughter's thinking my wife is tightly strong. Huh, 
How is that making me feel? I'm going to breathe through it because it's not true. What she thinks isn't true. What she's thinking isn't true. Like none of our thoughts are true. And so the more you can realize that it's just your own emotions you're trying to control for, you know, unless somebody's going to hit you in the head with a cast iron, there's really nothing about their behavior that's hurting you. It's your thoughts about it that are hurting you. So how do you do that? Step one is to recognize you're controlling for your emotions. And step two, start feeling it. The moment you notice, oh, I'm uncomfortable here, but I've had worse paper cuts. And 90 seconds later, you can let it go. So it's a practice of when that anxiety comes up, noticing and naming that it's your own thought or belief, figuring it out, and then let it go. I don't need to attach to that. And this is a skill that gets a lot easier with time. That's where I say, I can almost do this most of the time. I can walk, talk, and feel at the same time. But for you, this is a newer skill because you are still learning to reframe. It's not your wife or your daughter that are making you uncomfortable. It's your thoughts, what you think they're thinking. And you're right. Yeah you can kind of equate this with drinking behavior. In this situation, you're reaching for something. You need, to, you need her to understand, say some words and maybe change her behavior, you know, say words or don't say words so that you can feel better. So you're trying to regulate your mood by getting her to, to make you feel better. And so the quickest distance is always to realize, oh, you know, my thoughts and feelings are what are making me uncomfortable, not her hospitality. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So how do I, how do I, how do I get into this conversation with you and not feel like if I, she might feel like I threw her under the bus somehow and like, oh, great. You're talking about my problem. I think at this point, we're about to throw you under the bus. So I <laughs> about her. <laughs> you can throw me. I've been there. <laughs> I would like to come to dinner at your house and be fussed over, quite frankly. <laughs> so like I heard you say, how do I get her to understand? What you have to understand is even when you do present a need to your partner, you know how therapists are always telling you to use eye language? You know, so in this situation, I'll put the words into your mouth. I feel uncomfortable and embarrassed when you fuss or do do the things that you do. Like that's full ownership. And then if she wants to change the behavior to make you feel better, then that empowers her because she's not changing the behavior because something's wrong with her. She's changing the behavior because you're sensitive to her hospitality. Does that make sense? Like the like you're the one that's uncomfortable and you're telling yourself it's because your guests are uncomfortable, but truthfully, that's a thought in your head too. And what if everybody is responsible for the way they feel, (laughs) (laughs) including your guests, including your wife, you know, so the, the true honesty is letting her know that you're uncomfortable, not accusing her of making other people uncomfortable. But just saying, you know, because of the way I've been brought up or because of the way I think social interactions go or whatever, I am uncomfortable. But before you present that to her on a platter, um, really understanding 
that it's your feelings here that are the problem, not her behavior. Yeah. And that's where then you move into the acceptance. And it is what it is. Her behavior is what it is. Now, you know, if she's open to, to doing something differently, that's one thing. But really the accountability is on you to figure out how you want to respond to certain behaviors and how you're going to manage your emotions about it. So if this was the trigger for the pause episode, do you feel like had you been aware that, that your own emotions were making you uncomfortable and that you need to get away, pull it out of your head, figure out, oh, that's making me uncomfortable because I think this, I'm just going to feel, had you had the tool to do this with that at the time, would, might you still have gone into a cycle of depression? Yeah, I'd like to relive that moment and see. Oh, you'll get to. <laughs> uh, oh, really? Bummer. Uh, oh, a thousand times, yes. <laughs> this week, yes. Yeah, I don't know if I would have dealt with it in a manner of, okay, this is what I'm thinking. It's it's not really her problem as much as it is mine. And, you know, recognizing that and really, in an essence, letting it go. And I, you're right, I, I can't change what, if that's what she's doing, and that's her, maybe her coping mechanism for those type of things. I'm still having a good time if I just let myself have a good time and not worry about it. So, yeah, I mean, going forward, I'm definitely going to be thinking that. Had I been thinking that at that moment, yeah, it's a good possibility, I you know, that wouldn't have triggered it and kicked it in like it did. And this is a skill. The mistake we make when we think about letting go is that it's a one and done situation. In the same hour, you may let it go 45 times because you're having a higher stress situation. Like the more stressed you are, the more your subconscious takes over. And until you think something different, like right now, you still believe that she would be happier if she did less at parties. And so you may change that at some point, but as long as that thought is still like, yeah, that's true then it's going to crop up in times of stress more so. And so each time that anxiety comes up, using that anxiety to be like, oh, there I go again, thinking she would be happier. She didn't do the dishes when the people are here. So letting go is almost a misnomer. It's more of continuing to bring it up into consciousness and let it go. But the thought's going to happen again in the same situation until over time you have a different thought that is the new default. The more you think a new thought, like, for example, I'll put words in the, in your mouth and then you can change them, but, oh, it's not my wife's behavior that's the problem. It's my thoughts about her behavior that's the problem. And then the more you remember that, the quicker the, the, the time in between feeling the feeling and realizing what that is and then letting it go, but you're gonna have to do it a lot. Yeah, I think we're gonna do it a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, I have a tendency to be want to fix things, like fix that situation, fix this, fix that. And so my head always wants to go there. And that's something I need to practice on. 
as well and along the same lines where I, it's not my job to fix everything and worry about everything. So dealing with reality, let's say your wife makes no changes. This is how she operates. This is who she is. It is what it is. What do you want to think about your lovely wife fussing around in the kitchen? Like, what do you want to believe about the situation? Well, you know, it's a great conversation and it's, it's kind of making me think of a lot of things because if I really, if I flip this around, I think it's pretty awesome. All the cool stuff that she does. And I, and I've told her that, I, you know, wow, that's amazing. And he did, you know, like what a spread or, and I help too. It's, it's not one of those kind of relationships. I just watch TV while she does it. But, um, so yeah, I mean, if I flip it around, I, I enjoyed that she's doing that. And maybe that is when I, when I hear something she might say later, like I didn't get to see so-and-so, I didn't get to visit with so-and-so. In my head, I'm thinking, well, it's because you're in the kitchen, you know, for an hour, you know, you could have just sat down and, or if somebody else makes a comment that, you know, why didn't, you know, come visit with us. So, yeah, I mean, it's, um, so what I want you to notice is the next opportunity to let it go is then post-party when she makes the comment, I didn't get a chance to chat, that that need in you arises that you want to fix it. And that just is like, well, duh, I can tell you why you didn't have a chance to chat. Whereas what if it, what would it look like to say, oh, I, I, I'm sure that's disappointing. I'm sure they would have loved to have chat with you. Like, you know, how do you want to respond? What does she need in that moment? Because you're programmed, your default is to criticize her as though she shouldn't be feeling disappointed because it's her own goddamn fault. You know, it's as trivial as all this is, it's actually, it's exactly what's going on. It's just all of these thoughts. You're being critical of her. You want to, you want to help. Perhaps you feel guilty. Like, this is all that emotional soup and it's all in there. And until you make the practice of bringing it out and untangling the cords, thought, feeling, thought, feeling, oh, there's another thought and another feeling. Like until you do that, then it gets real simple, but there's a lot going on here. And so it's not trivial. Yeah. It felt like it when I at the moment, you know, when we were first having that conversation and it, but I feel like it maybe triggered that pause or, you know, maybe it wasn't pause. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, I have that much going on in my head, you know, about it that may have triggered it, you know, regardless. I don't, you know, I really don't know exactly, of course, but, you know. So let's move on to the fact that regardless of what the trigger was, it kicked you into, um, would you def- describe the state as a bit of a depressive state or de- depression and anxiety? Like what's your best, you know, three or four descriptors in terms of what you're going through? Brain fog, distraction, in- anxiousness, restlessness. Like what does it feel like? What does this episode feel like for you? I'd have to say it felt more like depression than anything else. Because I 
I mean, we're, and we're talking like within the seconds before that, what I call it a light switch. And it felt like a light switch. I was really pretty, pretty high up. I mean, I was feeling, you know, really optimistic, really in a good mood, really positive. And I just had a conversation with my daughter the day before, you know, telling her, you know, how things were going for me and it was all positive. And so when that hit, it, it was like the polar opposite of that. Yeah. Like everything I felt like the day before didn't feel like that way now, you know, at the time. Right. And here's what I see. See how this feels. In that moment, your capacity to process your own thoughts and feelings did not meet the needs of the situation. Your circuit breakers blew. So that conversation triggered a, a stress response. And so you didn't know what to say or think. So you experienced confusion and self-doubt possibly criticism. So you experienced all of those things that triggered a stress response. What I'd like to present to you is that in the future, you realize that you're having a stress response. And before you ever again, try to engage with the content of the conversation or the content of the story, but to realize, oh, I just had a stress response. What do I need to calm back down and then just do that. So when you feel depressed, what has helped you in the past cope with those feelings or, and turn them around? Because you know, I think the assumption here is that depression has to last a certain length of time. And right. I do believe there's some skill. I think you have to process and, and feel your feelings for sure. But I also think it's a skill to lessen the amount of time that takes. I believe over the years, well, I can tell you that I've never really developed strong tools, I might call them, to work my way out of depression. And it's never really lasted real long. I tend to always just fight through it and can tell myself not to just live it you know I, I i walk myself through it i stay motivated i just keep going kind of hard at wherever i'm at whatever i'm doing in my life i, I just focus on that i so i try to push myself through it without ever understanding it and that's usually how i shorten that time period and then it just seems to dissolve away it's always sort of been my coping mechanism whenever I feel that. And it's very similar to what just happened. I, you know, I just worked my way through it. I did um, tell a few days later what happened, you know, how I felt and that. And I, and I did that because if I did react, you know, short or grumpy or anything like that or edgy, I, I wanted to let her know what I was sort of dealing with. Historically, I probably wouldn't have done that. And that probably, and I can tell you, you know, the hell out to do with the alcohol too. You know, I, I never was at a place where it was like a roller coaster. You know, I would, 
you know, just repeat itself over and over. I would, you know, drink too much. We get an argument. And I'm not even saying it was all me every time we would, and we both contributed, but that doesn't really matter. But the pattern was that it'd be, it'd be such a, you know, bad argument that, you know, the next day we're not talking to each other. And if I said something wrong, which I did quite a few times that, you know, now she's upset with me to apologize, felt like shame. You know, so I had a hard time. It felt like shame and guilt. I didn't really want to face it. So other than a quick abbreviated, you know, uh, apology, I really wanted out of that situation and just let things go until we just were kind of talking again. And, you know, so that pattern was creating itself. We weren't communicating well afterwards. And if she wanted to talk about it, I usually shut her down because I didn't really want to relive it. You know, like I was embarrassed I did it in the first place or, you know, that that happened that way. So this cycle had developed where we weren't, you know, talking about anything. And so it, but it, what it did, it created a place that we can't open up to each other. You know, she felt vulnerable if she did. And I understand that now more than I ever did before. And I, and I, and I you know, you just get all this other crud, you know, mixed into your, to what's happening it just doesn't open up that doorway to talk about your feelings and and feel you know safe enough i should say yeah so it's you know it's changed a lot for sure and being able to apologize shortly after i mean nothing happened i i wouldn't even i'm sorry i wouldn't even really apologize just explaining to her you know what happened to me because we went on a hike the day that Sunday after, and I was kind of edgy. You know, we didn't get into an argument or anything, but I know I was short on a few answers and just, you know, really wasn't the best company to be around. Probably been better off staying home. And, you know, so I wanted to talk to her after that because I didn't want her to, you know, think anything bad had happened or she did something wrong or, you know, didn't want her to feel like it was her fault at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like you've done an amazing job. And that by recognizing that this is a temporary situation, that's not a reflection of what's going on around you. It's not a reflection of a problem in your marriage or a problem with your wife. It's more of a reflection of, of you having to take a time out sometimes to untangle some of these thoughts and feelings, decide how you'd rather show up and just deal with that. And so in the past, when you've, the the problem with using alcohol to let things go is that we don't actually let them go. And then that's where we create the cycle. We just suppress it. But this is more of a radical reframe when you do think that there's a problem taking the time to figure out how the source of that problem is your own thoughts and and then you can let it go yeah it just it kind of you know put some light on it you know where it seemed pretty dark before i do need to work on that a lot i i probably borrow a lot of trouble that i need to just not worry about or worry about myself 
So, it, you know, I, that's something I'll definitely need to work on and it'll be probably better for her too. You know, that I'm not, you know, she might feel like I'm riding her or trying to fix her and nobody really wants to be fixed per se, you know. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, and I don't want her to feel that way at all. You know, I, she's a wonderful woman and I just really need to work on recognizing why I'm saying things. And I'm saying all this after you and I have talked because that really, I didn't think about it that way until you explained it that way to me. You know, the the thinking of, uh, you know, she needs to not do the dishes and sit down. It really wasn't so much about making her happy. I think it was trying to get myself out of that jam of me feeling like all this stuff. Like I'm almost trying to please everybody. You know, myself, my daughter, whoever else is around. And that's really what it is. I'm trying to please them. And I'm thinking she needs to, she needs to do it somehow. So that is a good one for me right now. <laughs> and, and I really want to uh, learn how to do that better. I really need to focus on that. Well, you are, you know, and the greatest skill in life is being able to tolerate not just your uncomfortable emotions, but other people's. And the more space you can put between, oh, this is uncomfortable and your reaction to it, because we tend to knee-jerk reactions. We say this, the thing, or we, we do the things and that keeps us stuck in old patterns. So, so your portal out of, out of these cycles is to, when you realize that you're uncomfortable, just be like, I can handle this. Like I've had worse paper cuts. It's fine. And my daughter's judging my wife. Like I'm projecting that, but you know, I, I understand step families and all this. So my daughter's uncomfortable or my daughter's, you know, saying or thinking things. Well, maybe she is and maybe she's not. You don't really know what's in her head, but it doesn't even matter. Like, oh, that's just making me uncomfortable or she's uncomfortable. And I believe that she has everything she needs to figure her own stuff out. It's not my job to fix it. You know, let me ask you. So, okay. So I was in that moment. And like I said, before I said anything, I started feeling it, you know, like, oh, should I say it? Should I not? You know, I guess I need to look at that as a sign that I need to give it some thought. I mean, maybe not say it until I've thought it through. Had I had the right tools in my head at the time, if I would have just said, you know, just leave it, think about it more. Because if you're really debating if you should say it or not, then it's probably something you shouldn't right now until you've given it some more time and to think about it and if i give it that thought with the right tools then maybe i'll come up with my own answer and realize yeah i'm glad i didn't say anything because really wasn't good so i have since early days of sobriety my husband and i we say the word safe word so the moment either he or i this is a practice between us the moment either he or I feel our emotions flare, the sooner we say safe, safe word, like our safe word is safe word. That's so dumb, but whatever. <laughs> as soon as we say safe word, immediately the conversation stops and okay, if we can or need to, we go into separate rooms. But I think having a, a tool 
that gives you permission to excuse yourself. Like now my safe word sounds like this. I have to go to the bathroom. (laughs) And that gets me removed from the situation. Or like, if I don't know what to say, I'll be like, Ooh, give me a second. I'll be right back. I have to go to the bathroom. And for me now, that's all I need. By the time I go and either talk to myself in the bathroom or actually go to the bathroom or whatever, usually I can make sense of how I want to show up or how I want to get the hell out of there because this is not something I want to engage in. But I have to go to the bathroom is an excellent tool to to give yourself the space to reframe the situation and take full responsibility for whatever it is you're feeling. And then to ask yourself what you need to either show up or remove yourself. Yeah. With that being said, I would have to think that I need to really learn just to step back Mm -hmm. and just give myself some space. Let me think about it. I mean, I'd much rather tell tell my wife that I can't talk about it right now. I just yep. maybe later, you know, say that I will talk about it again, just so that I don't even, wouldn't want her to think I'm brushing her off or ignoring something that might be important to her. So yeah, it's really a, it's a process I have to learn. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Normalize taking time to think. Yeah. Normalize putting that space in and it will feel different and weird and communicating up front that, especially in a, in a time when you're not applying the tool, but communicating (laughs) up front, you know, when I get upset, this is actually going to be my strategy. I'm just going to say, I need some space. I need to go to the bathroom, whatever, and let her know. And then as long as you do follow up with the conversation that she may be waiting to have, and, and, and then often too, these things are kind of trivial. And so sometimes giving yourself five minutes, you realize, yeah, actually nothing is wrong. I just had an emotional response and I've let it go. And there's no action items here. Like it's fine. And so normalizing, taking that breather, that space is really, really positive. Now I'd like to shift to the idea or the thoughts in your head when you are experiencing depression. And I want to share one day I woke up and I was like, oh my God, I'm falling into a black hole of depression. This is not good. Like this, this is not. And I caught that those were just words in my head. There is no hole. And even depression is a concept The truth was I wasn't feeling very energetic. So when you're dealing with these pause episodes, even the belief that you're dealing with a pause episode can both help because it might frame it, but it can also set you back if you have expectations of suffering. And when you realize that you are experiencing some depression, possibly reframing it to the very specific experience of, oh, I'm feeling some low energy today. Oh, I'm having brain fog. Disconnect the emotion, the emotional inflammation that comes with depression and to to have it more of just, what do I need right now? What would make me feel better? And like the day that 
I was like, oh my God, I'm falling into a deep hole and I'm never going to get all this work done. If I would have believed that and kept on that three days later, I would have been sitting in front of Netflix, 87 bags of granola in. And instead I was like, oh, I'm having some depression. I should probably get outside. And within an hour, I had flipped my mood. There wasn't anything for me to deal with. You know, on my walk, I was like, did something trigger this? Whatever. I don't think there was. But in the end, when you're dealing with a pause episode, it is important to look at the trigger and untangle, you know, the emotional things, take the space. But I think it's also important to not have these expectations of extended suffering. How does that land for you? It lands good. Absolutely. I really did recognize it. I, I was confused by it at first. That was sort of my first reaction. And then it was, it's like I had to find something to be depressed about. Mm. I felt it in my body, in my brain, in my head. And now it's like, okay, well, what is it? And then you start kind of looking for it. And that's what I was doing. And but fortunately, this time I didn't do it for long. I because uh, I really wasn't anything big that happened or major that happened. And I know in the past when I would start getting depressed, well, then I start looking at you know every aspect of my life and almost making it worse than what it is. And it's like I need to fill that void because I'm depressed. Well, I need to get something to be depressed about, and so I would drag it out. For a long time and, and that's just a sure sign of you don't really know how to process your emotions your thoughts you really don't know what to do with them and you know you sort of your life just becomes sort of this miserable thing and even though and if you were on the outside looking in you'd probably look at it and think really what what's your problem i mean i don't get it you know like why you're you know i've got bigger problems than you what are you worried about you know so all this crazy stuff goes on in your head so, yeah, I mean, for, for me now, learning these processes, I know if I get depressed now, if I get that same feeling, I'm even, even after this talk, I'm going to be a little better in position to think or what my thought, really, what am I thinking, what are my thoughts, what story am I telling myself? And that's, you know, big and, and it's, so yeah, going forward, it's not that I'm looking forward to being depressed. Nothing. I'm not, I'm not like that gung ho. But at least if it happens, I know where to start to get myself out of it. And versus talking myself into it, you know, I can talk myself out of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, th there's such a fine balance between allowing, you know, allowing yourself to experience what you're experiencing you know, that's always the first step, but then at some point, you know, do I want, is there anything I can do? Would I rather feel something different? Am I having fun here? Is this serving me in some way? And depression is sticky. It really is. And I don't want to oversimplify it at all. I can say that it's gotten a lot easier for me to apply these tools. I don't spend much time depressed at all anymore. I have periods, but they're more like hours. And a lot of times I'll be like, well, it's just not a great day. This is a hard day, but it really is just about how I keep showing up and what I do next. It's strange to me what triggers 
reaction now where I probably was numb enough, hung over enough, drank enough, you know, to not give it a whole lot of thought. And now, now I'm talking to you about that right now. See, that was really more of my coping mechanism than anything else to deal with all those thoughts and emotions. Now I got to face them. You know, I really have nowhere to turn. And I like the journey. I mean, it's not something, I'm not really afraid of it, but it's definitely a process that I've not really taught myself well through all these years. I don't see it any other way but positive. I mean, it can't be negative. I'm not saying it can't be hard, but the only outcome, and I'm learning daily, is that it's bringing me to understand me better, kind of relearning who I am. It's work. It's going to take steady devotion to it. Well, we can't forget, though, that it's work to have a drinking problem. It's work to not deal with it. The expectation life is supposed to be easy and we're never supposed to have to deal with anything. But this work is actually rewarding. This work allows you to get somewhere, to break patterns, to show up as you want, to be in control of your life. Working to hide, minimize, control, negate, all of the things that we did with drinking, like that's just as hard. And so just keeping your eye on the reality, the realization that life is 50-50 hard and easy, like at best, at absolute best, it's 50% hard. So like, is this worth it? Is it worth it to be able to not need a substance to control your emotions? Is it worth it to know how to not blame your emotions on other people's behavior? Like that radical responsibility truly is freedom. I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. You know, I mentioned to you earlier that the boredom, you know, I, I feel a little more bored and I've got these big projects I need to get started on and, and I just haven't. So it's like, I don't, like I said, I don't have anything to do. But I do believe that I, the peacefulness, I think I might be mistaking some of that to boredom. You know, being, you know, drinking all the time, dealing with all the fallout from that physically, mentally, relationships, just everything that falls out from that, you know, it kept me pretty busy. Gave me a lot to think about. It gave and, you something to do. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to control sort of this manic, out of control thing you know alcohol and it's be, sort of becomes your life mission to control it you know navigate it well enough through the borders you know that you didn't hit an island and you know hit something and sink you know so it's yeah you're like the captain of this alcohol laden boat you know trying to navigate the seas you know so uh but yeah, you know, you remove all of that all of a sudden. And it's funny, I think this the whole process is a roller coaster. Two weeks ago, I, I was like a kite, man. I was feeling good. I was way up there. Everything was positive. You know, boom, that hits. I feel like, you know, steps backwards. But it's even now, I mean, rethinking how I was thinking it then is making it lighter. You know, I feel a little more, I feel lighter. And but it is, it is a little bit of a roller coaster. And, it, and it, I mean, if you throw pause in there, that's, you know, I could do without that. But, you know, working through that, understanding possibly the triggers, 
that are triggering that is obviously the better way to go. And yeah. the triggers are going to be some sort of emotional trigger, but it's also stress. So you're going to be more prone. Probably emotional triggers will be the straw that breaks the camel back, but you can look at, you know, your sleep, your nutrition. Are you eating high protein meals throughout the day? Are you exercising? Are you taking care of your body and taking care of things? When you do everything you can to keep that window open by taking care of yourself, then you're not going to experience as many where the situation exceeds your capability. But when you are being nice to yourself and realizing it's not me, I'm not, a, I'm not crazy. I'm just having a nervous system response and I need to do whatever it takes. And, it, right. and you mentioned the boredom. Is that something you wanted to talk about? It's really not that I'm so much bored because I do keep busy. But now that I'm thinking about it, maybe in a different light, is that I'm just focused different. Where I think I may have gone to the barn to work on something that could have waited or, or something else. Maybe that was more of just a distraction. Or maybe that's where I kept my bourbon too. So <laughs> that could have something to do with it on occasion. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, but I'm just focused on my relationship more than I've ever been in a positive way. I'm focused on myself more than I've ever been in a positive way. And that's pretty time consuming right now. It's also exhausting. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to exercise. I'm trying, you know, I'm, th I'm filling it, filling up this time. And there's, there's times where it's like, oh man, it's 4.30 already. And I like, can't believe that's that late already. So I probably should rethink that boredom comment um, or idea that I'm just right now on a, on a different path. And I, and, and I think what I was doing was I was probably feeling making myself feel guilty that I wasn't out there taking care of some of that stuff. See, you just did it. I was just <laughs> gonna say, so restlessness is usually there's an internal dialogue or subconscious thought process that you should be doing something else. So you're restless. And so how do you deal with that feeling? You just acknowledge, oh, I'm feeling restless. Why? Well, I guess because I feel like I should be doing that. Da, 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 da. Do I need to do that? uh no yes like there's no right answer but to, to solve for restlessness is to realize it's being caused by thoughts in your body that all you have to do is bring them up to conscious level and make a decision like there's no right or wrong go to the barn don't go to the barn but just realize that that anxiety that you're feeling is because your inside voice is telling you something and it's conflicting with your plans that's all that's yeah. it because it's not brain surgery here. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a fun way to think about things going forward. You know, when you're starting to beat yourself up, you know, well, take a minute, walk yourself through it. And as you mentioned before, what story are you telling yourself? You know, I was telling myself that, man, you should be out there. You know, you said you were going to do this. If you didn't, you know, they start, you know, pounding away. Really not necessary. My homework for you would be to just continue to keep that running list of all the ways you're doing it right. 
you know, all the ways you're taking care of yourself, all the ways that you're practicing new tools, noticing every time you pause before speaking, like give yourself credit, even if it's a three second pause and then you go ahead and say the stupid thing, you just be like, well, it lasted three seconds. Like that's, (laughs) you know, and just really shift the tables from, especially when the outcome is not ideal, especially in those moments noticing how you've improved will carry you through this. I think that's a very good point. You know, acknowledging it, recognizing the good uh, things that you're doing. Yeah. Good time to start a journal. So. Yeah. And also for me, I procrastinate writing in the journal. So for me, I usually use a mental checklist. Like that, <laughs> that's my habit. What are the things I did right today? And yeah. often I'll go to sleep doing that. And that's yeah. That's I'm kind of kidding myself. My journal's been sitting over here for about a year. Or so okay, so <laughs> I don't think really- I ever opened it. I think it's still has the plastic wrap. <laughs> don't don't put this on a journal. Like <laughs> I would do it, except I'm not doing it. So it's like no, no, no. Just get into the habit of noticing when you are doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? The the only thing I'm trying to sort, I visited my cousin yesterday and he and I used to always exchange the newest bourbons, like something really good. And that's sort of our thing. And that that's kind of hard for me right now. I don't know what to do with those emotions because uh, I'm, I'm missing that, that part of it, that sort of togetherness, camaraderie, um, hanging out and without thinking about alcohol you know what I mean just sort of enjoying the moment it seems to be heavier now than it's been since I started this journey is it hardest when you're thinking about it but not in the situation or are you actually experiencing situations in the moment that are uncomfortable for you is this happening in the moment or is this happening in your head outside of the moment? It's, it's happening in my head outside of the moment. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So you're suffering because of the story you're telling yourself, not actually because of an absence of alcohol when you're with your cousin and hanging out. Yeah. No, Just knowing that is huge. Yeah. Just realizing that the reason you're suffering is because of your thinking in that moment And that's what's generating the heaviness of it and the complexity of it. When in the moment, I know for me, sometimes I experience a little bit of longing or indecision when the first round is going. And a lot of times I don't, but sometimes I do. And then it's over. And so I never think of it again. Like that's my that's my experience. I don't keep thinking about it all night long. It's like I, it's uncomfortable maybe in the moment. And usually it's not. But if I'm going to be uncomfortable, it's a five minute situation and then it's over. It's all the thinking hours and hours. And then those thoughts move into your subconscious and they're running in the background. And that's contributing to your depression too. Yeah. If you're experiencing depression. Yeah. So I really wasn't thinking of that stuff even two weeks ago. And that's when I was feeling really positive, really up. And, and it sort of 
that's just weighing heavy on me ever, you know, honestly, ever since that, you know, called light switch triggered, I think I've been, I know I've been thinking about it more now than I was then. And I, it's almost like, oh, I'm missing out. Like I've, 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 you know, I've checked off a part of my life that I enjoyed and I'm not going to have it back because I'm not drinking. And, you know, yeah, I start telling myself all this stuff. It's not happened yet. You know, and I probably may not, but I'm, I'm living it like it is, you know, like I'm almost in the moment. So yeah, I tell myself these stories of, well, how are they going to respond? Now oh, they probably won't want to hang out anymore because that's what we did. And yeah, I mean, it's just, boy, I could write a book on it, you know, on the stories I'm telling myself. So yeah. So I, that's, I'm working through right now. So, you know, the tool in that moment is just to reframe it using language and say, it's not a lack of alcohol that's bothering me, or it's not not drinking that's bothering me. It's my thoughts about it. Like just continue to correct and that will become the new subconscious and, and eventually it'll purge it. But I'm only suffering because I'm thinking about it right now and nothing is happening. And if you remember my definition of awareness from the challenge was the ability to distinguish between what's happening in the real world and what's happening in your head. And yeah. it sounds like you're recognizing that 99% or more of the suffering about sobriety and what that means happens when you're not, when you're just walking around doing other stuff, not actually in the moment with your cousin having a fun time. Yeah. We just had coffee the other day and had a good hour long visit. And didn't come up. Didn't come up. You didn't right. offer me a bourbon. And I, you know, actually even at the towards the end, I felt comfortable enough to tell him, you know, that, yeah, you know, I'm not drinking anymore right now. So, you know, we talked about that briefly. It was no big deal. So, yeah, you know, you just got to, got to reach out there a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just the story you're telling yourself. I mean, yeah. that's all of us. It's so normal. And so every time you catch yourself, it's not that, oh, there I go. I'm thinking about it again. It's like, oh, thank God I can stop. I can redirect my thoughts on that, you know, because yeah. they're going to happen, but just retraining your brain. So it doesn't sound like you're having a problem there sounds like you get it yeah yeah it's not an actual problem that happened it's just uh yeah i just i'm creating my own little world in there that i just need to let it go so so does that make sense then i mean do you feel oh, good it about does. It? it you know the more we're talking and the more i'm understanding is i'm realizing how much i live my life in my stories that it's not happening but maybe we're all this way or we got to fix everything and that's where the stories come from in my world it's like telling the story okay well i need to fix that and then it creates anxiety and uh, you know that's part of it anyway yeah. it may not be all of it but yeah so learning how to live my life in a way that i'm thinking things through not creating stories that do not exist and live just in a be honest with you, I, it, lack of a better term a happier place so that sounds pretty good yeah yeah and the only thing i would say is don't forget you are going to live in a story so, <laughs> so unless you plan to become a buddhist monk which would also be fine and fun but 
you are going to live in a story. And that is then where realizing that you have the power to create a new story, that's what you'll start to look and find purpose and meaning. So your new story, like for me, my story about sobriety is, has become this coaching practice and, you know, normalizing, not drinking, normalizing, asking for help. So I feel like what I'm doing has a greater purpose and you'll get there as well. But that's where, you know, continuing for as long as you need to continuing to just pump content into your brain to keep it focused. And that will rewire some of those subconscious beliefs. But then at some point, you'll begin to generate your own thoughts and you will create a new story about why this is meaningful and what you want to do next and what you've learned. And that's the journal. That's what you want to write in your journal is dreaming you know, why you're going through all of this and creating a story with it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that approach. Well, thank you so much for your honesty and openness. I know that your underlying motivation was that you've had trouble finding information and support and guidance through this process. And your motivation was to share your story so that other people could know they're not alone and maybe get where they're going just a little bit faster. We all learn from each other. I know that that's been achieved with this episode. So thank you so much. And listeners, if you are interested in the five day it's, it's more of a masterclass at this point than a challenge because now it's just the replays, but there's five hours of intense education going over the tools and the concepts that Mark and I have discussed in this episode. That link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to rate and review the show so that other people can find it. I really appreciate it. And check out the show notes for any resources I've mentioned, including links to follow me on Instagram and join my private Facebook group where I connect with my tribe every day. I love it in there and we have so much fun. And finally, if you're ready to redefine sobriety so that you can feel excited about quitting drinking, follow the link to my 10 days to spontaneous sobriety course where I will help you eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, cancel your desire to drink because looking and feeling your best is addictive too. I'll see you soon.